The North Carolina Justice Academy offers training programs to criminal justice personnel, provides technical assistance to criminal justice agencies, and develops and distributes educational and training materials. The Academy is set up into a couple of divisions, training and support. The training division has a team of experienced and dedicated instructors covering various subject matters, and the Educational Research and Development Team, which is responsible for, among other things, online course development for annual in-service. The Support Division operates the print shop, the bookstore, the audio-visual production unit, which is, among other things, again, responsible for production of this podcast. The Justice Academy delivers its wide array of courses and services from two campuses, the East Campus in Salemburg and the West Campus in Edneyville. And of course, like most every agency, it's not the facilities or the programs that make things tick. It's the people. And those people can't be at their best without effective leadership to provide direction and vision. So for this episode of NCJA 1014, it is my pleasure to converse with Trevor Allen, director of the Justice Academy. And Trevor, it seems like a hundred years ago that you and I started the very first podcast, which we both think was sometime back in 2018, but a lot of water has flowed not under the bridge, but over the bridge at the Academy since that time. Welcome back after all these years. Kirk, thanks so much. I tell you, you know, the same thought hit me, you know, preparing for this today. I was thinking, when's the last time Kirk and I did an episode? It was the very first one, probably several years ago, maybe even five years ago. But uh, let me just say thanks for all your help with this. So, you know, this whole podcast idea was kind of my idea to start with, but it was a shell of an idea and I didn't really know where to go with it. And and you've helped take it to, to a wonderful height. So I appreciate what you and the rest of our staff have done with it. Well, absolutely. And, and, and I remember even the first meeting of sitting in a room with former deputy director for support, Dana Phillips and, and Ramona Higgins, who's one of our producers and now a training manager of the audiovisual production unit and just so many other folks. And, and the words did come out. You know, Trevor has this vision. And from there, <laughs> we began just really bringing this thing to fruition and, and giving birth to it. So as I said in my opening remarks, you, you can't really have the type of facility that the Justice Academy has and deliver the amount of courses and do all the things that it does without great leadership. And, and you've been that guy. So this is just another one of the examples that you've been able to bring to the so let's kind of, it's going to be hard to recreate everything that's happened since we did that first podcast, but if you would, let's just kind of start out and, and maybe bring a highlight reel to the table of some of the great things that have been happening at the Academy since you and I last talked. Yeah, sure. So then there have been many and I'm sure I'll forget a ton, but you know, I had a, first of all, just let me say, I've had a lot to learn about leadership in general, about, you know, how to help lead this Academy. Um, forward since the first time we talked even and and man it's it's really benefited me to to do one thing and that's rely on staff that i have right you know i don't know it all never thought i did but didn't realize the importance of slowing down and saying okay here's my thought on this here's my vision 
What do you think about it? You know, ask your key people along the way to make sure you have that support before you take that first step forward. That's been the biggest thing. You know, many things on both sides of the house. So on the training side, you know, we are enmeshed with uh, and have been since really late 2019, early 2020 with revamping and completely rewriting the basic law enforcement training academy curriculum. You know, we could talk in depth upon that for hours, I'm sure. But so that's a, a big initiative on the training side with commission programs. And it's taken a lot of effort from a lot of people, but it's reached the pilot stage. So it's being now piloted. It's first pilot delivery at Fayetteville Technical Community College and will be followed up by 15 pilots starting next uh, in January of next year. But that's not the only one. So we've also rewritten in the process about to go to pilot on our detention officer certification program as well as our telecommunicator certification program. So our three main commission programs all went under complete overhaul at the same time. I don't know if I thought about that, Kirk, if I'm honest in advance, um, the, the level of impact that would have on staff and, and, and quite honestly, just a huge challenge for so many people. But as usual, staff has responded with vigor to that challenge uh, and have really created some content that we're all very proud of. So I would say on the training side, those are the highlights of that right there, amongst all the other non-commission training programs that we continue to do year after year. Those three, wow, what a challenge, but uh, but they're turning out great. So that would be the training side. On the support or operation side, a lot of that is on facilities. That's a huge need we have is, is renovating, repairing facilities to get them top-notch for our stakeholders. And, and we've done a lot of good work there with a lot to come. So to highlight some of those, we've got two very recently renovated residence halls on our east campus so residence halls b and c that's roughly 200 beds almost brand new in terms of beds furniture bathrooms you know brand new tvs that are now real tvs not the size of your ipad but but actual 32 inch tvs (laughs) sheets that fit the bed that's another complaint i've had for years we got that getting that fixed but also right right around the corner as we have our driving tracks about to be re uh, resurfaced. Faculty Drive, which is the street that cuts through the middle of our East Campus, that's about to get repaved with drainage and sidewalk. And then a couple of projects out west to fix some water intrusion on a couple of buildings. So very excited about that, too. I've rambled on, but that those are a couple of highlights in both sections so far. In terms of 2023 and back a few years, that's really what we've been focused on. Well, it was a good ramble simply because it it allowed, I'm sure a lot of folks who are listening, a little bit of a trip down memory lane, myself included, because I remember there were dormitories that you didn't really classify what you were sleeping on as a bed. So you didn't really talk about the good things like having a TV in there and you kind of had to make your own fun. So just from the comfort side, I know that probably a lot of input came via surveys. I've never taken a course at the academy where there wasn't a vested interest in, please tell us what we can do better. And obviously you've taken some of those things to heart. I want to go back to the training side for just a moment. I I talk to still a lot of law enforcement folks, and it amazes me that they are unaware of the volume of courses that the academy is involved with. For instance, I talked with one just a month or so ago, no idea that the Justice Academy was responsible for BLET. There's so many different course modules within BLET. Talk, Talk just a little bit, Trevor, if you would, about how that came about and what has been involved 
in in making this new evolution to bring it up to that that first pilot program at Fayetteville? Sure, it's it's a great question. I think you're right. A lot of people don't know the depths of that's involved, really stakeholder wide, not just us, but. Folks think about basic law enforcement training. I always refer to it by its abbreviation of BLET from here on. When folks think about BLET, they think, well, where did what community college did they complete the program? You know, where where did they do it regionally? There's 68 accredited delivery sites across North Carolina to deliver that program. Unique in the country, by the way. A distinct honor I have is to serve as the treasurer of IATALYST, which is, you know, everything we do is a you know, it's like alphabet soup, right? Everything has an abbreviation, but essentially it's the organization uh, across the country, positions like mine, commission standards directors across the country and amongst about 17 countries that get together and discuss best practices. And, and really North Carolina is unique. Most everybody, every other state has typically one site that does all the training. If you just go to South Carolina, everything's done in Columbia, South Carolina. It's not done across the community colleges like we do it here. Or they might have a few regional academies. So 68 sites presents a challenge to make sure everything's standardized. But what really goes into that well before the delivery of that, before a prospective officer takes that course to prepare them to be a, a, a law enforcement officer, is the creation of the curriculum. And that starts with a job task analysis. That's the first step. So we hadn't done one in at least 10 years. The commission rightly and very smartly as a forward-thinking body said, let's take another look. Let's do another job task analysis. The idea to make sure that our content is as current as it can be and as relevant as it can be. So that was done in 2019. The job task analysis was done at the direction of the Criminal Justice Standards Division. The data from that, which is a survey instrument, essentially, that surveys law enforcement officers saying what job tasks are relevant that an entry level officer should need to be able to complete. So you come up with hundreds of tasks from that raw data that's turned over to us to then create learning objectives and then corresponding curriculum content to meet all those job tasks. That was the only the first step. So after we, we got that data back, assembled that, and started working on creating curriculum, we also relied on our stakeholders. So not just the commissions, the criminal justice and sheriff's commissions, but also working groups within each one that were tasked with reviewing the content we created, the draft content. Then we also took into account published recommendations from both the North Carolina Sheriff's Association and the North Carolina Chiefs of Police Association, both of which were very proactive post the death of George Floyd and other similar incidents across the country, really looked at that and said, what are the best practices here? What should we be doing in North Carolina to be in front of this to make sure we don't, number one, get caught up into those type things, but more importantly, that we're doing the proper training that needs to be done in 2023. So we use that, those recommendations as well that were published, tons of other research into various professional organizations. And then ultimately it culminated with a group of subject matter experts within each topic, right? So each of the 39 topics within the BLET program had a subject matter expert group that reviewed final drafts of what we created. And and we're we're the benefits of it. Although it could it was very challenging and a bit frustrating, if I'm honest, along the way, to have that much involvement and have it take basically three years to do. In the end, we have a great product that's been legally reviewed. It's been vetted by subject matter experts, and I'm really proud of what our staff created. Well, I think to me, as a practitioner at one time, the most important thing is is that the delivery is relevant and that the delivery is up to date 
and and you mentioned the George Floyd era, and and that brought about a whole new way of policing, not only just in North Carolina but across our country. And I think the fact that the commission and criminal justice standards and training had the vision to say, hey, maybe we do need to do this a little differently, you know. And, and it's not like a case law update. Obviously, what you've just explained has been a very time-consuming and rigorous process. And I think once this is all said and done, we're going to put one of the best products out on the table that we possibly can to train future law enforcement officers in North Carolina. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know what, Kirk, you had a very important point is it's it's the, the curriculum is one thing to deliver is another. You could have the best you know car in the world, but if, if a car dealership doesn't have any good salespeople or any good service people, it's just not going to be a good scenario, right? No matter how good the car is. So for us, it was not just creating the best lesson plans, but ensuring a consistent delivery of it. And that our partners at the standards divisions do a great job of that through their auditing and certification processes. But a big thing we did with this is listen to our our stakeholders and our partner associations, all of which said we need to be doing more practical skills. So that delivery needed to shift from a primarily lecture-based curriculum and delivery to a more practical and scenario-based skills. A big thing I'm very proud of is we've done that in the new curriculum. So it's gone from 640 hours, most of which in the in what we call the legacy version is mostly lecture-based, to now it's 868 hours in the pilot delivery, and it's almost 50-50 with lecture and practical skills. So we've really proud of the fact that our developers took that approach to make sure that we were putting in uh, in a much increased level of practical skills training into the program, which I think absolutely and you know best practices say, right? This is what our partners asked for and best practices say you need to to train adults by doing, not just telling them how to do it, but let them learn by doing it, right? And I think we've achieved that. Well, and I think there's a whole new generation of cadets that are presenting themselves at the community colleges that you mentioned. And they are of that generation where seeing and doing is more effective. So I think the Mm -hmm. fact that the state has adapted to that model speaks volumes. Trevor, I think one of the things that you talk about as far as stakeholder demand and the changes that the academy has had to go through has certainly come in the area of online delivery. And in particular, in-service programs. So now law enforcement officers can literally sit in their cars from their mobile data terminals and take a four-hour block of legal update courtesy of a program that is driven by the academy. Talk a little bit about that and share with our listeners how that all came about. Sure. It's a great question. And, you know, not just sitting in a car as, you know, at an MDT doing it, but, you know, the former colonel at the Highway Patrol once pulled me aside at a meeting and said, I really appreciate the opportunity for me to complete my uh, mandated in-service training sitting on the couch. Uh, and I said, well, I'm happy to do that, sir. I'm glad I'm glad you found it uh, you know, user-friendly to do that. But that's an overall, is making a good point, is that you know, we have to be cognizant of, of where people are. You meet people where they are, right? And this is just an ever-increasingly fast world. You know, Folks that are out here have responsibilities beyond work. They got families, they got things to do. And if, and if we can make whatever's mandated for them, the most user-friendly, I think we should do that. So we've been able to to create a lot of our mandated in-service training in an online fashion internal here at the Academy. And we do that with largely starting the same process, right, is doing the, the R&D, the research up front, 
listening to stakeholder demands, taking direction from the commissions about what those training topics should be, and then creating content that we can convert online and allow people to do it at their leisure or at their convenience. And most people, I think, are doing that where possible. We've seen our online completions grow from 2015. I think we only had a couple of thousand of completions that were done online up to, I think we had just over 200,000 last year. So that's not 200,000 officers, obviously. I think our agencies would be, all of them, we full ranks and more if we had 200,000 officers in the state. Uh, so we're certainly not there. But the, so it could be you know any number of those officers completing four or five topics a year to make up that number. But the point being is that our officers in, in the field really appreciate the opportunity to do it. And, and we're happy to be able to make that available for them. Well, one of the other things that I noticed, too, that the Academy has done, uh, certainly within the last couple of years and maybe even longer than that, is not just look internally to offer courses. So, you know, in my day and in in your day as a law enforcement officer, it was the come to the Justice Academy. Someone who was working there would deliver the course for however long it took. But now what I'm seeing is the Academy reaching beyond its own walls, if you will, and bringing in some outside folks. I think of the Gracie Academy that has been Mm. at Salemburg. Let's talk a little bit about that and, and how those things came about. And again, I'm sure they were stakeholder driven, but it's maybe not as easy as it sounds. It's, you know, it's not easy, but it's also one of those things where you have to, and I've learned to do this better, uh, is to take a step back and just go, okay, before I jump into this, let's take a closer look and go, what's the long vision here? You know, what are we trying to accomplish down the road? And we've uh, we've done that uh, in the last year by doing a complete reorganization of the academy in terms of organizational structure. So we started with our support services side, our operations side, and then just recently finished the training side. And all of it was done with an eye towards what do our stakeholders need and how best can we apply resources to get there? One of those ways is, okay, if training is needed, do I have a subject matter expert on staff that can deliver it? If not, I need to go find a vendor who can do that or another SME who could come in and deliver that course. So you mentioned Gracie, you know, that whole concept of jujitsu tactics used in police work has been building for many years. If I'm honest, I think we've been kind of behind on that a bit, but thankfully have caught up and, and we've implemented a lot of those types of techniques and tactics into our new BLET and we'll continue to to do that moving forward. So the Gracie thing was just one, but what a great group of folks to work with. We've been able to to graduate several classes from that. Also get our staff instructor trained through it as well. Um, so that's been a great one. But, you know, other topics like drones or euphemistically drones, but unmanned vehicles, um, aerial vehicles. We don't have folks on staff to do that. So we brought people in to do it. Our Leadership Institute, we utilize a number of resources to, I know you've talked with Kevin Tingen. I've listened to your great podcast with Kevin. You know, we bring in uh, a few different folks to come help us deliver that course as well uh, in a partnership standpoint. So just taking a look at what do we excel in? What do we have people trained to deliver courses in and what do we not? And then go from there. Well, and it's odd that you mentioned the Leadership Academy because that was kind of bubbling in the in the back of my mind. I, too, remember a time where if you wanted to take a course in leadership or some type of future advancement within your agency, you had to go outside of the Justice Academy to do that. And now, again, I'm guessing stakeholder delivery says 
why can't we do that? And I think the Leadership Academy is certainly one prime example of the Academy responding to its stakeholders and saying, you know, by golly, we can and we have and we are. And to do it for free, Kirk. And that, and that's a big point that we're proud of here is that, in, in, like I said, I know you've talked with Kevin about the Leadership Institute and, and Kevin does a great job with that class. But, you know, other similar courses that officers will go through to prepare them for supervisory or leadership levels would be the Administrative Officers Management Program through NC State, the FBI National Academy, perhaps Southern Police Institute, those type of things. Great programs. Mm -hmm. Can't say anything negative about any of them. They're great, but they cost money. They cost agencies money. So the alternative that we offer is that, you know, we offer a very professional, intensive program that's free to them. So that's that's just another point that, that we're happy to be able to do. And as the old saying goes, free is a very competitive price. <laughs> You're darn right it is. <laughs> well, Trevor, I, I think we've covered a gamut of things since we last spoke in 2018 about things that are going on at the Academy. Is is there anything in, in summary that maybe we, or that I glanced over that you wanted to bring to the table before we close things out? I think a couple of things, Kirk. Just to, in closing, just to mention, just because folks that know me know that I don't usually rest, right? <laughs> Great, we've accomplished some things, what next, right? And that may mm -hmm. meet with an eye roll with a few folks, and I get it, but uh, it's me. I can't change me. It, it, a couple of things are, number one is it's continuing to look for funding for facility improvements. That's that's a huge initiative of mine and of our staff, and we, we all know we need to do it. We, we exist on two campuses that are, you know, that have been around quite a while. And they need some help financially. So we've seen some help legislative with that. We appreciate our legislature for helping us with those projects and uh, look forward to, to receiving some future uh, funding to complete some other ones. Um, but on the training side, yeah, I mentioned the three commission programs of BLET, Detention and Telecommunicator. But a real focus on commission programs is where we're headed uh, moving forward. Not to say that we're not going to offer other non-commission programs. We certainly will. What we are looking at all of those from an analytic standpoint, how many officers are we training in whatever course X is? You know, how frequently do we need to be doing course Y? Just doing some data-driven decision-making. Um, my new deputy director, he's not new, he's just uh, taken over all of our training functions is Chris Anderson. And he's done a real deep dive on that, looking to make some uh, decisions moving forward about which courses do we keep on which courses do we do more or less of based on that data analysis? Uh, so that's a, a big initiative on the training side. And the last one I want to mention was you mentioned in-service, and we talked a lot about taking that online. I've made a proposal to both commissions, and I'm getting working groups together to finalize and ask for a vote on fundamentally transforming the way we do mandated in-service training. Currently, it's a, a requirement that sworn officers have to do, as well as detention and telecommunicators have to do uh, other levels of mandated in-service training as well. But for law enforcement, you have to do 24 hours per year, and those topics can vary. Um, but you know what we've never done, Kirk? We've never mandated a topic on driving. It's been a topic of choice before, and it didn't include practical skills. Well, what gets officers in trouble often? What costs agencies money? Driving. I know, know the answer to that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you do. Um, what What have we also not done as a mandated topic other than a topic of choice, which was like a reinforcement topic that didn't have practical skills in it, is use of force. Well, what's more important right now in the communities that to make sure our officers are trained in is how we use force, right? I think, I mean, 
really these these are not, you know, light bulb moments, right? My proposal that I put in place is including these very critical topics into a three-year window to get done instead of oh, every year trying to find content to put out there that may or may not be the most critical to that officer who's dealing with a situation in the middle of the night that needs to know how to get through an incident or provide a service. That's the most critical things we need to do. So that's what my pro- my new proposal is trying to meet is to do that in a way that's, that creates some flexibility for officers and agencies to complete that in a, a time frame that's not running to get it done every year by December 31st, but allows them a little more flexibility to get it done. But it's focusing on the, the, the topics that are most critical to officers in the field. So I look forward to maybe coming back and talking about that again in the future that hopefully get that uh, in 2024 to a vote to both commissions to, to get that implemented. Yeah, those are exciting times, Trevor, especially from an officer safety standpoint, because you look at what are the two things that are most likely going to get a law enforcement officer hurt? And the two things that you just talked about, use of force and driving are right up there at the top. Yep, that's right. the last thing we need is to have an incident similar to some of these we've seen over the last few years nationwide to be here in North Carolina. Uh, we need to be ahead of that right. curve, and that, and that's a, a huge goal we have. Yeah. Trevor, thank you so much for your time. Let's try and not make it quite so long in the future, could we? <laughs> I, I would love that, Kirk. Lunch on me next time we talk. That sounds like a great plan. I'm up with that. And again, free, a very competitive price. Thanks. <laughs> exactly. That's a good one. The North Carolina Justice Academy is dedicated to the idea of lifelong learning for criminal justice and related professionals in North Carolina. Through research, education, and training, the Academy does its part in creating the finest criminal justice professionals in the nation to go out and serve the citizens of North Carolina. Trevor Allen is the director of the North Carolina Justice Academy and one of the people responsible for helping carry out that mission on a daily basis. Thanks for listening to this episode of NCJA 1014. And until next time, stay safe. NCJA 1014.